like we have when we've kind of, speaking of the last four or five months, when we haven't been able to join together as oft as we were used to and accustomed to. It's a beautiful thing to just hear the praises of the collective body of believers together in a service. A hallelujah. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let us magnify the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I'm here glad for the church today. I'm here thankful for the family of God today. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I feel to continue with the message that I began last Sunday. Um, If you were not here last Sunday, I'll give a little bit of a recap. I think you can be able to listen to it on our website. And today's message will be a standalone message in that you would not have necessarily needed to have been here last week uh, in order for today's message to make sense. But I want to continue with the same title of our message last week and preach our response to the challenge of our day. Our response to the challenge of our day. How many will just allow the Holy Ghost to speak to us? i got a few things I need to discuss today, a few things I feel like the Lord has laid upon my heart today, and uh, I will do my best uh, to get through it in an an appropriate amount of time. Um, Whose definition of appropriate? (laughs) We will determine. But I believe God's going to help us. God's going to help us. Amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. How many going to preach with me today? We're introduced to the New Testament church in the book of Acts, the second chapter. This is when the Holy Ghost was poured out. This was the inception, the beginning place of the New Testament church. Amen. This is why we call ourselves Pentecostal because of the experience that happened on the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. This is the beginning. This is the inception of the New Testament church. And we find as we read in the book of Acts, beginning with uh, chapter 2, that 120 were saved. And then we see that 3,000 were saved. And then we see that 5,000 were saved. And what we, what we see here as you uh, read those passages of Scripture, we find a great spiritual momentum that was taking place not just in the church, but in the city as well. You got 120. Now, think about if this happened in our church. We went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000. I, I, I'd, be, uh, I'd be pretty excited about that. I think we all would, and I, I think we would all say, hey, we got some momentum going on here. Am I right about it? And so this is what they were experiencing, and, and uh, this is what they were accomplishing and what God was doing through them, and this is Acts 2, and then we get to Acts 3, and it is here that the Bible informs us that Peter and John are going to the temple, for it was the hour of prayer. I've always thought it funny. It says they were going to the temple, for it was the hour of prayer. They weren't there yet. They were, they were late for church is what it's saying. 
And so Peter and John were on their way to the temple for it was already the hour that they should have been there. But they get there and the Bible says there was a lame man who begged daily at the gate. And instead of giving them uh, this man money, they pronounced the name of Jesus Christ over his crippled body. And this man was miraculously healed by the power of Almighty God. This man who begged every day at that spot was known by almost everybody in the city. He was always at the gate of the temple. The temple was the central figure of the entire uh, city. Everybody was in and out of the temple. It was, everything was constructed around that particular place. And so pretty much everybody knew about this lame man. And now all of a sudden word is filtering out. The lame man has been healed. They spoke the name of Jesus over his crippled body. And now he has risen up and he's walking and leaping and praising God. And so word is filtering out through the city. And so now, now this is, again, tremendous momentum is what we're seeing. Miraculous things happening. Everybody talking about the, the miracles that these Jesus-named people are performing by the power of the Holy Ghost. People are being saved, 3,000, 5,000. It's just this wonderful thing, this momentum that is happening. And you have to know that the enemy was not happy. The adversary of our soul was not happy with what was happening. He doesn't like spiritual momentum. As long as it's church is normal, he's probably not going to mess with the church too much. As long as there's not a whole lot of stuff happening, he's probably not going to mess with the body of believers that much. But allow there to be some revival beginning to brew. Allow there to be some... Uh, spiritual momentum starting in the hearts and the lives of some people in the church and all of a sudden the enemy is going to rise up. So we find that the leaders of the city, obviously not of their own doing, but as mere puppets of the enemy, get Peter and John and they throw Peter and John into prison overnight because they didn't want anybody talking speaking, ministering in any form or fashion in this name of Jesus because they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They had crucified this Jesus. They were hoping just to get him and get rid of him. And now all of a sudden, these followers, these Christians are now still proclaiming this name of one who they tried to crucify and who they thought was crucified and, and dead. And so now they get Peter and John in prison and they throw them overnight in there. The next day they bring them out and we pick up our story in Acts chapter 4 and verse 18 when Peter and John are standing before the supposedly religious leaders of that day. Acts 4, 18. And they called them, Peter and John, they called them out and they commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, which implies that they had previously threatened them, they then let them go. Now, as you read commentaries on this particular passage of Scripture, when it talks about further threatened, not only does it mean that uh, there was a threat in addition to the previous threats, but it wasn't necessarily just a, a, uh, a, a, a reminder 
of what they had threatened them about earlier. But when it says they further threatened them, it was a threat that carried with it a greater intensity of punishment than what the previous threat had carried with it. Did that make sense? And so commentaries would tell us that the original threats were probably that of beatings or uh, that of uh, imprisonment. But then when it gets to the further threatenings before they let them go, that more than likely that was even a threat of them being killed, martyred for preaching and teaching in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so you have this coming on Peter and John, but the understanding here and the implication is that it is not just the threats towards Peter and John because the Bible tells us that immediately after that they that Peter and John were free to go to go back, Acts chapter 4 and verse 23 tells us what they did and being let go. They went to their own company. Where did they go? They went back to the church folks. They went back to their brothers and sisters in the Lord. And they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. So they go back to the church and they say, hey, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you what's happening. I know we've been preaching and teaching, not just us, but all of We've been preaching and teaching this name that is above every name, but we just want you to know that now they're telling us if we continue to do so, we're going to be beaten, we're going to be imprisoned, and we may very well lose our lives for doing so. So here we see that these threats were not just towards spiritual authority, but these threats were towards the entirety of the body of Christ. Everybody was affected by this challenging time. It wasn't just a few families in the church. It wasn't just a few here or there that were being affected by this challenging time. But everybody was affected by the challenge of their day. And what was the point of these threats? Stay with me now. What were the point of these threats that these, uh, the high priest and the leaders and the elders of the land had, had, had placed upon the people of God? What was the point of the threats? It's a four-letter word called fear. I'm going to say fear. You see, because the enemy knew <coughs> that he could not stop what the church was accomplishing. He could not stop it. 120 to 3,000 to 5,000. Miracles happening. Everybody's talking about it. It's spreading through the city like wildfire. These Christians are having a heyday. God is doing great and mighty things. The enemy knew that he could not stop the church. So he tried to get the church to stop itself. So how do you get a people of God to stop themselves from doing what God has called them to accomplish? Well, you infuse into their midst a spirit of fear in hopes that the church out of fear will stop doing what they had been doing prior to the challenging time. Oh, hallelujah. Anybody tells you this book is not applicable to our day and age is out of their mind. For the enemy will take anything, anything that may be happening, no matter what it is, he'll take whatever. He's had a whole lot of practice with this spirit of fear thing. 
So he'll take whatever may be happening in our world, be it individually or collectively, and twist it to serve his purpose of instilling fear or attempting to instill fear into the lives of the believers. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to try to help somebody today. Such is the case in some of our, in the day and age in which we live, as it applies to the coronavirus pandemic. For if the enemy can instill fear into the lie, I'm not talking about, I didn't say concern. I didn't say caution. I didn't say, you know, something along those lines. I'm talking about the spirit of fear. If he can instill fear into the life and the heart of the believer, then he can get them to back up. He can get them to lay down. He can get them to coast. Or in some other way, get them to reduce their passion for the work of the Lord. Hear me today, I'm going to, is it all right if I just pastor a little bit? That's what he pays me for. I was going to say that's what you pay me for, but you don't pay me. He pays me. Hear me today, crippling fear. As it, crippling fear, as it relates to this pandemic, is not of God. Now, I want to be plain and I want to be clear about this. I know this can be some touchy subjects now. Talked to an individual the other day and they, they walked into some, uh, some room. Family members were there and they had, they had a mask on. And one of the family members began to berate them and began to say, Man, you, you, must, you must have all kind of fear because you're wearing a mask. That's not what I'm talking about. Hence... All of the masks in the room. But individuals that might would say, well, you're, 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 you're living in fear if you're wearing a mask. Or you're living in fear if you're staying six feet from other people. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a fear to the point where we're allowing this pandemic to cause us to no longer accomplish the purpose and plan of God over our lives. Make sense? I feel this today, and I, I feel as spiritual authority, specifically in this local body of believers, I feel, I feel this attack of the enemy specifically in what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about a fear that's convinced us, at least a few of us, in this church and in the church collectively to just kind of lay low for a while. Let's just kind of spiritually coast for a while. Let's just, just kind of get through this time. Let's just kind of, you know, let's just kind of kick back, relax a little bit, coast a little bit, take it easy a little bit. And then when all this is over with, then we'll kind of regroup and Get back going. And I, I just, I want to tell us today that those thoughts and those, that mindset 
is not of God at all. And if those are the thoughts that we're having and if the decisions that we're basing the current direction of our lives upon is being based upon those kind of thinking, then it's because we're believing a lie from the devil himself. Mm -hmm. For God, hear me now, God did not call us to accomplish his purpose and his plan only when things were going well. God did not call us to accomplish our specific calling only when it was easy and convenient to do so. We were not called to do the work of the believer only when it was comfortable to do so. And this is what I can guarantee. If the enemy of our soul sees us, hear me very carefully, if the enemy of our soul sees us growing complacent because of the challenging times that are around us, then you better believe he'll do whatever is necessary to keep challenging times around us. I know a little of what I speak. Individuals that are just, their lives, constant, constant, constant turmoil, constant struggle, constant challenge. And the reason is because the enemy recognized something in their spiritual DNA that when challenging times came their way, they'd back up, quit, slow down. Refuse to move forward and grow in the things of God. And so the enemy's no dummy. So he just knows, hey, all I got to do is keep, keep their lives a little tumultuous. And I never have to worry about them again. Oh, they might show up every once in a while. They might talk in tongues every once in a while. But they're never going to do anything for the kingdom. So we need to get a revelation and understanding of the fact that when God called us to do what he called us to do, he didn't say, I only want you to do it if it's comfortable and convenient to do so. So we have to understand that it was just, it was just a short time prior to Acts 4 from which we're taking our story and our text from this morning. It was just a short time prior to Acts 4 when the call of Christ would be spoken over many of the same people who we're now talking about in the early church. And this is what he would speak to them. This was obviously before at his ascension, before he tells them to go to Jerusalem and tarry there until they be endued with power from on high. And he speaks to some of these very same people and he tells them in Mark 16 and 15, he says, I got something I want you to do. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils. And they're gonna, you're going to speak with new tongues. I want you to take, if you're going to take up serpents, 
by accident. <laughs> Just clarify that one. At least that's the Pastor Anthony translation of that. Take up serpents, and if you drink any deadly thing, again, by accident, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they're going to recover. And so he's speaking to them, and he's giving them direction, and he's giving them definition for calling and purpose and the plan of God for their lives. And then he goes, and then they go to Jerusalem, and they're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and it's 120, and then 3,000, and then 5,000. And then all of a sudden, the challenge comes to those very same people who had heard the command from the lips of Jesus himself to do what he had called them to do. And the point I'm trying to make is this. When he gave them the command to do all of those things, there was no loophole in the command from Christ that would exempt them from doing those things when times got a little tough. He wasn't commanding them to accomplish these things only when they were experiencing good days and the proverbial wind was blowing in their sails. No, because he knew they were going to face some things in life. He knew they were going to have to endure some tough times. He knew they were going to have to confront some things and there were going to be some challenges that were going to come their way. But in the facing and in the enduring and in the confronting and in the challenging moments of their life, it was still the will of God for them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, how we do that may shift due to the environment that we are in. How we reach our world, how we preach the gospel to every creature, how we... How we are used by God in the miraculous in the context of our daily life. How we go about doing those things may have to be tweaked a little bit. Are you following me? Our tactics for accomplishing the will of God over our lives may have to be rearranged a little bit in order to wisely accomplish the will of God over our lives, but the calling of God does not change. And the purpose for which we have been called has not changed simply because we have been confronted with a challenging day. For we have received the power of the Holy Ghost within us in order, the Bible says, to be a witness And if I got the Holy Ghost in the good days, I can be a witness in the good days. But the thing is this, I still have the Holy Ghost in the bad day. And I still got the Holy Ghost in the challenging days. And I still got the Holy Ghost in the dark days. And therefore, if I got the Holy Ghost in the bad, challenging days, then it's the will of God for me to continue to be a witness even when the challenges are coming against us. It may look a little different than how we did it prior, but that does not exempt us from doing what God has called us to do. Is COVID a reality? Yes. Should we take precautions? Yes. 
But the enemy has attached a spirit of fear to this pandemic. And it is silencing the voice of the calling of God upon so many lives in the present day church collectively. So I say to this church that we cannot allow the spirit of fear to keep us from accomplishing what God has called us to accomplish. Whatever God has called you to do, let me tell you something. If your tactic has to change, if the way you go about it has to change, if, the, if you got to use wisdom on, on tweaking how you do it, guess what? The one who called you to do it can also give you wisdom for how to do it in a challenging day. He can, uh -huh. He's not the counselor for no reason. He's not the great counselor for no reason. He doesn't just have the title. He, maybe he can back it up. He can tell us what we need to do and exactly how we need to do it, not just in the good days, but in the bad days as well. Oh, somebody needs to step up and realize I refuse to allow the challenging days to keep me from doing what God has called me to do. Come on, somebody put your hands together, give him praise if you believe what I'm preaching right now. So what was the response? They're faced with these challenging times. New Testament church. What, were, what was their response to these challenging times? What are you and I supposed to glean from the examples that have been set before us in Scripture for how we are to relate and respond to the days and age in which we live? We discussed it last week. I don't have time to go back into it. You'll just have to listen to the download. But the first thing they did and the most important thing they did, Acts 4.24, they've just heard the news. The challenge has been given to them. You've beaten in prison, possibly even death. It's coming against them. And the response was this, Acts 4.24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. When they heard the challenge, when they heard this coming against them, this fear tactic from the enemy that was doing its best to try to hinder the spiritual momentum that was happening in the church when they came against them. No doubt hit them like a ton of bricks. What did they do? They said, we need to pray. And so they prayed. Because God still answers prayer. And God is still moved to act based upon the righteous prayers of the saints. And prayer still changes things. I said it last week, let me reiterate it because there's a spirit moving through the church that's saying God's just going to do whatever God's going to do anyway so it doesn't matter if we pray or not. He's just going to do what he wants to do. That's a lie from the day. If my people which are called by my name will pray, then I'll do some stuff. So we need to be a people that know how to pray. We need to be a people that pray. The next thing we see that they did in response was this, Acts 4.29, And now, Lord, behold their threats, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness 
We may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. The second thing they did in the face of this challenging time was to renew their desire to be used by God in the miraculous. And the miraculous is needed in our day and age more than it's ever been needed before. Therefore, I believe we who have the miraculous power, the dunamis power of Almighty God coursing through our veins, we need to be conduits of the miraculous in the day and age in which we live. So these were the two responses to challenging times that the New Testament church exemplified for you and I that we talked about last week. But I want us now to move forward into our text to see how else they responded. For the text continues by saying this, Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. Everybody good? Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken. It wasn't going to shake unless they first prayed. So when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now you got to understand, these people were church folks, right? So when it says when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, it's talking about a refilling of the Holy Ghost because he went back to his own company. He went back to the church. You don't get into the church unless you've repented of your sins, been filled been baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The evidence of speaking with other tongues. And so, some might would use this text and say, no, there is a sign and an example and uh, a marker that you've been filled with the Holy Ghost if you begin to speak the Word of God with boldness. Some would use that as saying that it's not necessarily tongues That is the initial sign that you need to be looking for because look, Acts 4 doesn't say anything about tongues. It says they begin to speak the word of God in boldness. And so if I have some experience with God and begin to speak the word of God with boldness, then that is a sign, the initial sign that I've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not true. You have to understand from this text, when it says he went back to his company, he went back to church folks who were already saved. He went back to people who had already been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. They were in the 120, the 3,000, or the 5,000. The Bible says, verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, I believe there are three things, three responses from this particular passage of Scripture that the early church had and threw them as an example to you and I today. And I want to try to get through these three as quickly as I can. But in no particular order, really, it's just kind of, I'm going to start from the third one and do that one first and then work my way backward. But Acts chapter 4, verse 32, watch the first response I want to deal with today. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. The text gives further insight of this this particular response that the people of God had. 
When just a few verses later it says this, Acts chapter 4 and verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So here we find that they're selling things that they had and they're bringing it before the apostles and they're saying, hey, you guys know the needs in the church greater than we do. We don't know who all has a need, but we feel prompted of the Holy Ghost to give sacrificially in order that the body of Christ would be taken care of during this specific challenging time. Now don't go getting quiet on me now. We understand, we've taught from this before, that this was not necessarily something that they continued to do. They just understood that they were faced with a current challenge of this particular moment required them to sacrifice in a way in order that the entirety of the body could have enough and be blessed. So in the face of this dark and challenging time, when the tendency would have been to just watch out for what is mine, Right? There was a spirit of giving that swept across that early church that helped provide that which was necessary for the entirety of the body. Oh, hallelujah. Understand now, most of them had left their homes, their jobs, their farms in order to travel that great distance to Jerusalem, in order to celebrate this feast. So it's not like they're making money. They're not home to sell crops and necessarily as far as to make make money. They just had what they had when they left. And they sold what they already possessed. They, They got rid of that which they already had. You see, the tendency would have been to just make sure I've got enough. Come on now. The tendency would have been, I got to make sure my family has enough. The tendency would have been to just make sure, I got I to gotta make sure all my needs are being met. And yet, that's not how they responded to challenging days. For they looked at what they had and they became willing to sacrificially give so that others in the church who had less than them could be taken care of during this challenging time. Mm-hmm. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And if there is one symptom of one who is bound by the spirit of fear, it is that they will never be obedient to God's voice when it comes to giving sacrificially. 
Don't run the aisles all at once now. But a sure sign of one who is bound by fear is that they never give sacrificially. <laughs> the reason is because their fear continually causes them to think about what their needs might be. Their fear always consumes their mind about, but what if this happens? Oh, I'm preaching good right now. What if that happens? Well, I don't know what's going to happen next week, and I don't know what's going to happen next month. And, 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 I, and I, had everything, I had everything I needed to, to take care of the bills today, but what happens about next month? God, I, I hear you talking. I hear you telling me what to give. I, I hear you speaking into my heart about giving something sacrificially, but I'm too afraid to be obedient. I got kids. I got bills. I got this or that. Like God doesn't know. You know, God's like, I want you to give such and such, and then you give it, and then God's like, oh, I forgot about their mortgage. If I'd only remembered their mortgage, I would have never asked them to give that. Come on, somebody. That's, that's, not, that's not how God works. God knows everything. God knows what you need better than what you know you need. And it is a sure sign of a fearful heart when you cannot relinquish sacrificially that which God is asking you to relinquish in order that the entirety of the body might be blessed. Oh, hallelujah. And so what we say, what we say is this, you know what, I don't have, I, I have so much fear that God will not provide for me, that I've got to hoard everything I have so I know by my own abilities, I can take care of my needs. And so now we have taken God off the throne as ruler of our lives. And we have put ourselves into the position of control. And then we wonder why it doesn't go so good. And yet we see from our text what the early church was exemplifying to us was that a right response to difficult times, the right response to challenging times, the right response to lean times is not to hoard it all to yourself, but it is to recognize that there are quite possibly those in the room who don't have what I have, even though what I have might not be as much as I would want it to be, I also recognize the fact that there are those in the room who have even less, and so 
I'm not going to allow a spirit of fear to cause me to hoard to myself the blessings of God. When I can be a conduit of God's blessing to somebody else who needs it more than me. For here's the thing. Generosity is not necessarily shown when all is well. Generosity is not shown when we have more than enough. But generosity is recognized by what we do with what we have during challenging times. Jesus would illustrate, is this all right today? Jesus would illustrate this principle like this. When he said in Mark chapter 12 and verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld now the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in a whole lot of money. But there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites which would make up a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said, come here, come here, come here guys. You see that lady right there? Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast in to the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want, her lack, did cast in all that she had. Even all her living. Now I'm not saying you need to give everything, all your living. I'm not saying sell it all and give it. It's not what I'm saying. But I want to say and just help us to understand and recognize something, especially during these challenging times, about what our response should be. Because a true spirit of generosity is not recognized when we simply give out of our abundance, but rather by what we're willing to give during our time of lack. Well, you just don't understand, Pastor. You know, my, they, this COVID stuff, it's, it's, it's knocked my hours way down and this, that, and the other. And I, I got to go to part-time and, and I, I've lost this and I've lost that. I get it. I understand it. I, I do. I do. I do understand it. I understand it completely. But is it not also like what they were facing? Isn't it, isn't it very similar? And isn't it just like the Lord to put in His Word to show us how we're to respond during times like this. He's trying to help us to understand that when those times get like that and when times get tough, that's not the time to stop trusting God and hoard it all to yourself out of fear. Well, what if this happens and what if that happens? And Pastor, can you, can you promise me that this is not going to happen? And this? No, I can't promise you, but here's one thing I can promise you. He's going to be Jehovah Jireh yesterday. He's going to be Jehovah Jireh today. And he's going to be Jehovah Jireh tomorrow. You say, well, how can you promise me that? It's not me promising you that. It's this book right here, this word that cannot fail. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Mm. Mm. 
Ah. Hey, up in the sound room, how difficult is it to pause the recording? Pause it. Tell me when it's paused. And don't mess up because I'm soul. Somebody shout unity. Come on, shout unity. They were of one heart. They were of one soul. Unity. One commentator described this verse like this, and I quote, he said, their souls, talking about the early church, their souls were linked so closely one with another that it seemed as if there was just one soul for the entire body of Christians. That's the unity that was happening during this challenging time. Another commentator described it like this, and I quote, he said, this early church was in a state of the most perfect friendship and affection. And there was no kind of difference or dissension among them. And hear me when I tell you that this spirit of fear that is at work in the collective church, it is doing its best to bring disunity, disharmony, and a separation in the body of Christ. For if that spirit of fear can keep us isolated, Keep us alone, feeling all by ourselves, then hell knows that that is going to hinder unity, togetherness, cohesiveness of the Spirit in the church. If we allow that spirit of fear to cut us off from the body, then hell knows that that's when issues are going to start happening. That's why hermits are weird people. They've been alone too long. They start thinking thoughts they never should think. Now I want you to think about our text for a minute. I want you to really think about it. The church has been threatened to no longer associate themselves with the teachings of Jesus. Right? Can't preach in his name. Can't teach in his name. We don't want you talking about it. Which I am sure, now it's going to get real quiet now. Which I am sure caused some people to stop coming to church out of fear. For what if the the soldiers... Show up. What, what if we're having church in the house and somebody tells the leaders of our city where we are and they send the goon squad after us? Well, what, what, what if I'm in the group that gets hauled off to prison? So I'm sure, I'm sure the individuals began to question whether or not should I go to church? Shouldn't I go to church? Because of the fear that they had concerning what might happen if they show up. What could happen if they show up to church. And the parallel, and you're already ahead of me, I believe, is that I'm sure that there were those, now hear me, hear me, and I don't have 
Well, no. I do have some people in mind. I'm sure there were those talking back now to the early church, those less faithful members. Hear me carefully. Who used the threats as an excuse to not come to church when it really didn't have anything to do with the threats as much as it just gave them a plausible excuse to not be faithful to the house of God and do what God called them to do. For it would have been very hard to question someone's motive for not coming to church if the reason they gave you was something like, you know, man, I got a wife and kids and if I go to church and I'm in the group that gets hauled off to prison, who's going to take care of my wife? Who's going to provide for my kids? Does that, that reasoning sound Plausible, unless they were simply using that outwardly and contextually plausible excuse for not coming to church as a way to cater to their unfaithfulness while still wanting to maintain the outward appearance that I'm connected to the church. Mm. And part of my struggle as pastor these last couple of weeks specifically is to know how to respond to those who aren't coming to church. Now I know I realize I'm preaching to the choir, you're here. But hopefully this is being recorded and it's going to go out to somebody who should have been here. For I think we need, and don't, don't go out of here saying I said something I didn't say. I don't mind you quoting me, just don't misquote me. I think we need to use wisdom. And there are those who are sick. And there are those who are quarantining. And I talk to them and they're going absolutely crazy that they can't be in the house of God. And there are those who genuinely should not go out in the public. I totally understand that. But what I don't get is the individuals who go to work in a public place every day Go to the supermarket. Go to Walmart. Go to restaurants. Who I would venture to say have less social distancing protocols in them than what we have in this room. But then they use COVID 
as their reason for not coming to the house of God. And those same people will say, well, I got to work. I got to feed my family. And it is then that we see the priority where that individual has placed God and the house of God. Because I'll get up and go to a public place for eight hours, nine hours every single day. But I can't come for a couple hours one day a week. They're willing to do for a paycheck what they won't do for God. And this is difficult for me as a pastor. For it is my calling and the requirement that is placed upon me to encourage the people of God to be faithful. For faithfulness is a biblical principle that I am mandated from heaven to do my best to instill into the body of Christ. But I don't always know. I told my wife, it's so frustrating. I don't, I don't want to be the faithfulness police during these days. I don't want to have to track everybody down and have all kind of conversations with people about why or why not they're in church to find out if it's legitimate or not. Because I don't always know who's using COVID simply as a cover for their unfaithfulness. And I don't know who necessarily always knows who have a legitimate reason for not coming to church. But the thing I want us to know is this. More than ever, our response should be to draw closer one to another in unity not further away. I can't read your mind. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I do know that many times unfaithful people will just continue to be unfaithful and faithful people will keep on being faithful. That's what I know. I've learned a little bit in my almost 20 years of pastoring. And so it is no shock to me when people who were unfaithful before COVID are now using COVID as a reason to be unfaithful. And I get the reports, oh, you know, I'm just a little scared. I'm just a little whatever to come to the house of God. Okay, I get, okay. I got to move on. Faithful people will keep being faithful. Unfaithful people will keep being unfaithful. But the thing I, so I and I don't, I don't know how to differentiate with all that. I don't know what to do as pastor with all that. I don't know how to, I, I refuse to get into everybody's business and figure out every single reason, every single thing and who have you been around and who this, that or the other and what are your symptoms and this and that. I don't want to get into all that. I'm just trying to teach and I'm just trying to preach what the word of the Lord is telling us. Our response should be in challenging days and the early church showed us that in the days of challenge we need to be unified like we've never been unified before. We need to come together like we have never come together before. 
We'll wear the mask. We'll stay six feet from one another. We'll social distance. We'll get you all out of here when I dismiss. We won't let you use the bathrooms after church. We'll make you fellowship in the parking lot. But through all those challenging times, there needs to be a people that say we're still going to be unified. We're still going to be connected. We're because I refuse to allow the enemy, I refuse to allow the enemy and the spirit of fear to bring division into a church just so we can stop the spiritual momentum that is taking place. Woo! Hallelujah. 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 Now I should move on, but I want to be clear. If you're sick, stay home. You got symptoms, stay home. If you're not really leaving the house for any other reason, out of concern for maybe people that you live with, stay home. I get it. No problem with it. If you have health issues and you're limiting your outside involvements to the very bare minimum, then stay home. Watch it online. Listen to it online. Find church somewhere. We'll help you. That's not what I'm talking about. Is that clear? That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about using COVID as a cover to not come to the house of God because of unfaithfulness. Because if that's the case, then as spiritual authority, I have to confront the spirit of unfaithfulness. Not to be mean, but to encourage you you need to be faithful to the things of God. And here's why. Here's why. You say, well, you're just, you're just beating up on people. You just, want, you just want numbers in the church. You just want crowd to look better. You just want more money in the offering plate. You just want tie, all that, whatever. Let me tell you the real reason why I want people to be faithful and connected and unified. You ready? Psalms 133 verse 1. Behold. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew descended upon the Mount of Zion. Ready? For there, where's there? The place of unity. For at the place of unity, the Lord has commanded the blessings. You let the enemy lie to you and tell you the only reason you're trying to get people to come to church is because you want your numbers to grow up and you want your offerings to grow up. That's a lie from the devil himself. You want to know why I want you to be in the house of God? You want to know why I want you to be unified with the body of Christ? Because in the place of unity, God has commanded his blessing. It's not about money. It's not about numbers. It's about the fact I want you to be blessed. I want your family to be blessed. I want your home to be blessed. I want your finances to be blessed. And God said, when I'm looking to put blessings on somebody, I'm going to look to see who's unified with the body of Christ. And if I can find a people who are unified and faithful and committed and together, he said, then I'll release the blessings of heaven upon them. Woo! Come on, somebody praise him right now. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody shout amen. Last point and I'm done. Everybody good? Last point. 
final response to the challenge of our day. Found in our text when it says this, Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. We've talked about their boldness as it applies to being used in the miraculous. But now we see that they also had a desire to be bold in the declaration of God's word to those around them. The spirit of fear was trying to silence this Jesus name message. But the church prayed to be bold in declaring God's word and God's name. Ooh, hallelujah. Saint of God, hear me. The spirit of fear is doing its best to silence the church during this time. We're having less services collectively than what we've ever had. We're unable to have the services that we would want. We're unable to schedule revivals like we might would want. So many churches unable to minister collectively like they would have wanted to do. We couldn't do our month of outreach and passing out all the bread and speaking to everybody and doing all that stuff that we do collectively. We can't have all the different out, uh, youth events that we do and hyphen things that we do and on and on and on. All of the stuff we do collectively in order to declare God's word and to evangelize our lost world. These are things that we have not been able to do. But the biblical reality that we must be reminded of, and I almost want, I'm almost wondering if this might not be one of the key reasons for COVID. Not that God sent it, but that God could use it for his glory. I almost wonder if this might be, Brother Tap, one of the great revelations that God is trying to reveal to the church as a whole during this time is that evangelism and the declaration of God's word was never supposed to be the responsibility of the church collectively. but rather by the church individually. And could it have been, leader of evangelism, could it have been that the church world collectively had gotten away from that revelation and gotten away from that under biblical reality to the point where we now view evangelism as the church's responsibility. And if the church has a month of outreach, I'll probably show up because I'm supposed to evangelize. And if the church has a revival, I'll show up and maybe try to invite somebody to something the church is doing collectively because that's what I'm supposed to do Evangelize. But then all of a sudden COVID hits. And all that collective stuff. And could it be that God is using this to strip away? I feel a little revelation coming right about now. 
to strip away all of what we have made evangelism to be that it was never meant to become. In order to get back to the place that says, I can't go to the rally. I can't go out on the group evangelism tour. I can't go pass out bread with the rest of the church. So if I'm going to do what God has called me to do, which is to go into my world and preach the gospel, then I can't rely on just tagging along with what the church is doing collectively. I gotta be bold enough to declare the word of God for myself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why it's wrong. I'm hurrying. But that's why it's wrong to have the mindset that we can begin evangelizing again. And we can, we're going to start reaching out again. And we're going to start declaring God's word again once we're able to have all of our services. We are believing a lie from the enemy when we think that we can start seeing people saved once we can start scheduling revivals again and once we can start laying hands on people's heads again, then we'll start seeing people saved. That's a lie from the devil himself. That's why the book says in Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, go ye. Ye, you. Singular, into your world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Notice the plan of God's declaration for this world and declaring his world was never intended to be something that they accomplish, but rather it was something that ye would accomplish. Am I making any sense? Evangelism was never about what happens in this building. That's not how it started in the book of Acts. We've talked about this before. But the only reason they gathered together at the end of the week or the beginning of the week was so that they could, they could exhort and they could testify of all the great things that happened on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. But somewhere along the line, Brother Ron, we've got it to where evangelism is what happens on Sundays between 10.30 and 12.30. And God said, I didn't send COVID, but I can use COVID for my glory. I'm going to strip away all that wrong thinking. I'm going to strip away all that lie from the enemy. And I'm going to get the church back. I said, I'm going to get the church back to what I established for them to be in the book of Acts. And that was where they understood that they themselves individually should declare the word of God with boldness. Come on, somebody praise him. Woo! Now listen, I, I, know, I know there are more than just these two, but I thank God for Sister Carrie's reports. And I thank God for Sister Sandra's reports. And if you're not on Realm, you need to get connected to Realm. Just within the last couple days, just this, just this week, Sister Carrie prayed. Where were you at when you prayed her through? Pertillo's parking lot. Prayed her through to the gift of the Holy Ghost with 
Come on, somebody. With the evidence of speaking in other tongues, was it in an altar? No. Does it have to be in the altar? No. It can be in Portillo's parking lot. Bold. Bold. Declare the word of God. Declare the word of God. Don't leave it up to this person. Don't leave it up to what the church programs. Don't let the church print out the 5,000 flyers before you'll get involved with evangelism. It's time for the church to get back to what the church was supposed to do, and that is to boldly, individually declare the word of the Lord. This week, this week, Sister Sandra taught a Bible study to a lady, brought her to the house of the Lord here on a, what day was it? Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever the point. It was like what, one o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday or Thursday. And Pastor Eli met him over here. And Pastor Eli baptized him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of church. Hear me, somewhere along the line, we've got off track and God's trying to get us back on track because what he wants us to know is this, there should be far more people getting the Holy Ghost outside of these four walls than anything that ever happens inside these four walls. And there should be far more people getting baptized at one o'clock on Wednesday afternoons than on Sundays. And it can happen, and it will happen, and God is using this for his glory. I know it's challenging days. I know it's some tough times, but you gotta know it can't stop the church. It can't stop the church. It can't stop the church. If we will respond the way we're supposed to respond, if we'll do what the early church did. Come on, stand to your feet. Lift your voice. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Lift your voice. Respond to the word of the Lord. Respond to the word of the Lord.